Hey, this is Al Petrari from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you're with my buddy John over at Iron City Rocks. See you guys soon. Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks, so crank it up, or I'll come in to get you. This is Derek Whelan, keyboard player with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 389 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 389, we have three special guests joining us. We have joining us from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra of Jeff Plate, who has been the drummer since its inception. Uh, his time with the band goes actually back to the point of sabotage, and he's also played with Metal Church, so uh, no stranger to the world of heavy metal. He's going to talk to us about uh, the 2018 holiday tour. The tickets will be going on sale by the time you hear my voice. Uh, That will be coming to the PPG Paints Arena on the 28th of December, so we'll talk all about that show in just a moment. Also joining us, we have Nicole and Simon of Cello Fury, who will be releasing their newest album, X, on the 21st of September. They have got a CD release show at the Hard Rock Cafe in Pittsburgh. So we're going to talk to these two amazing cellists about uh, the new album and kind of the musical direction of Cello Fury. I think a lot of you will find that very interesting. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. First, we're going to turn our attention to uh, Jeff from uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. As many of you know, uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has undergone some changes in the last year with the death of founding member Paul O'Neill. And, you know, he was also the kind of the mastermind creative director of the band. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see them go on the road in 2017, what that experience was like, which we talked with Jeff about, and also what we can expect from 2018. So without further ado, we're going to get into that interview with Jeff Plate.
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We have Jeff played on the line. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, wonderful. I think a lot of our audience is going to remember you from your time with Metal Church, from your time with Sabotage. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, when, when you guys first did this 20-odd years ago, were you skeptical of the idea when Paul kind of floated this? Well, absolutely. It was uh, it was quite a. Uh, I mean, there was more questions than answers when mm-hmm. we uh, when I joined Sabotage. The first studio record I did with the band was Dead Winter Dead, which was a concept record about the war going on in Bosnia at the time. Right. Paul had a story around this, and he wanted to insert this this Christmas song, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo twelve twenty four, and and at the time I can remember everybody in the studio kind of looking at each other, thinking, you know, huh? I wonder what Paul's thinking here, but. Right. But of course, it was it was quite a shock when the when the album came out and that song completely took off in a different direction. Right. So Paul knew what he was doing at the time, and uh, when the Trans Siberian Orchestra was formed, obviously musically it uh, it was it was successful. You know that that sure. song itself had become a hit. Our first uh, Christmas CD, Christmas Eve and Other Stories, was a hit, but the uh, but the live show was something of a mystery, and, and I can still remember the the first show that we did at the Tower Theater and. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia in 1999, and boy, I had a knot in my stomach. I had no idea what to expect, and sure. uh, here we are 20 years later. Yeah, I remember when you guys first started coming around in smaller venues, and, and you know, I think if it had said sabotage, we would all know, no, let's go to the sabotage show, but we said trans orchestra, what the heck is that? You know, it was one of those things where, <laughs> you know, I think the name recognition didn't kick in until, you know, the next thing I know, you're in these arenas. Um is it kind of liberating? I mean, you look at the accomplishments of the band, the millions of albums you played in front of zillions of people, um, year in and year out, packed arenas. But my guess is that any one of you could walk into a Walmart and, and people don't recognize you. Do, you. do you get recognized? Is that is it kind of nice to have some anonymity? Yeah, it is. It is nice being anonymous to, to sure. a certain extent. And I, you know, and I think now that the band has has become so popular and so many people have seen the show, you know, it happens a little more often that, that you'll be recognized, you right. know, for, for, I'll be recognized for who I am and, you know, being in TSO and all that, but the, uh, but, you know, honestly, the show has gotten so big and right. there's so much going on on the stage at any given time, it's, it's really hard to focus on any one individual, yeah. um, even though I've been there from the beginning, along with yeah. Chris Caffrey and uh, Al Petrali and uh, Johnny Middleton. Still, you're you're part of a huge show, and I yeah. think there's more people focusing on the show as a whole than they are on the individuals. Yeah, I mean it, it is. It, you, when you walk away from that, you might remember the narrator. You might remember, you know, Chris in the, the hockey jersey of whatever city you're in. But you know, yep, you, you exactly. don't take away some of those. You know, I, I remember going to see some of those and being so excited that Alex Skolnick was there. You know, because he was kind of the one name that was new that year. But uh, you, you don't look at it as is an individual's performance really per se. Um, Logistically, where you're at on the stage, you know, there's, you know, you're, you're a show that really doesn't have any rival. Even Kiss, I think, is kind of toned down from what you guys do. Um, mm. In doing such a physical instrument as drums, do the do the pyrotechnics and the heat generated by that cause you particular problems, or just just hydrate, hydrate, hydrate? Yeah, it's it's hydrate, hydrate, hydrate for all the right reasons, including right. that. But but also too, this this is part of our our production rehearsal, sure. is making sure that you know all this stuff when it fires off that it's a safe distance. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get don't get me wrong, I I feel the heat, there's sure. no doubt about it. But 
I've been doing this a long time, and when it happens, it comes by quick, yeah. and I'm prepared for it. And I know I know that people are keeping a very close eye on everything that's going on on the stage, so I, sure. I never really worry about it. But but I've had more comments this year doing doing radio press about people, about the DJs and whatnot in the audience that feel that heat. Sure, you know, halfway across the arena, up in the balcony, it's pretty intense. But uh, you know, it's it's a big part of our show, and and for myself, it's pretty cool. But like yeah. I said, it, it comes and goes so quickly that, I, and I'm used to it. Do you get to see? You know, this might be a strange question, but I know you have different touring factions during the year. You know, do you ever get to to watch the show from the audience perspective? Uh yes, yes and no. Um, that's an interesting question. When we when we rehearse. For the tours, mm-hmm. we have two touring groups. Okay. There's an East Coast group and a West Coast group. Uh, we rehearse in the same venue. Okay. So we have a chance to watch each other play. Okay. And it's interesting to sit there and watch the show. I mean, their production, their show, their set list is identical to ours. Mm-hmm. Obviously, different members on the stage, but it's still, that is as close to us as it's going to get. And it really is interesting to be able to sit back there and and see how how cool the video looks, or what right. the particular lighting looks like, and you know where where am I lit up? Where am I in the dark? Mm. Where is uh, you know A B C D? That goes for everybody on the stage, sure. but but also too sometimes during sound checks, you know somebody else might get behind the drum kit, and I can mm. I can step out front and take a listen. So it's it's pretty cool that way, but. Uh, but hey, I love what I see. It's it's a heck of a show. Yeah, I mean, that, I often wondered that, you know, in, in in you know in what's extremely organized, I'm sure, to the nth degree chaos. And you know, to the visual, you know, to the casual observer, this looks like it's just this maze of lights and fire and things like that. But you know, all that's done with such precision. But you know, seeing it from where we're seeing it, I often wonder if you guys get the chance to kind of look at it and say, wow, you know, I'm part of this. Because when you're inside, I'm sure you don't get to pay attention to every flashbot and every, you know, video screen and, and things while you're playing the song. You've got to concentrate on what you're doing and where you're at and, you know, fills and things like that. So that's interesting. Sure. I mean, like I said, watching the West Coast band do their run-through is, is really cool, but also just seeing the amount of video that's online too mm-hmm. you know you, you get it from such a different perspective that uh, there's so much going on left to right above behind that it's it's really hard to keep up with it but uh, right. every time you see something different you actually see a different effect or a different visual that you didn't even realize was going on and it's uh, it's awesome it's, it's just really amazing what uh, what Paul O'Neill I mean this was this was his vision to create yeah. a show that was like this that was that overwhelming that you really had to see it maybe a couple times during the tour to try to catch everything that's going on. But, uh, but hey, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been such a crowd pleaser. It's been such a success. And, uh, and boy, 20 years into it, it's, it's just amazing to think that we've come this far with this. Yeah. Now, as a musician, I mean, you've got kind of, of an interesting dynamic here. So many bands of, you know, the metal genre especially, you know, to tour either do weekend fly-ins or they're touring you know 10 months of the year and you guys are, are kind of doing this almost the opposite you're going out the time of year where almost nobody else goes out on the road um does this mm-hmm. free you up to to pursue other things throughout the year or is this you know is this a you know february through december kind of job you know to get ready for a tour of this magnitude well i would say you know the management 
company, Night Castle Management, those folks are working full-time year-round. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the production staff is working full-time, you know, coming up with the show. and there, There's a lot going on there. Individually, and, uh, and I'll just speak for myself, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned Metal Church earlier. I, I played with Metal Church for 12 years. Sure. Up until uh, 2016. Okay. And I just kind of, you know, I just reached a point where I thought, you know, I love playing the music. I love the guys in the band. I really like traveling, but I'm also really liking being home. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've kind of shifted gears. I'm focusing more of my off time into teaching. Okay. And doing that kind of thing. But uh, you know, there's there's always some uh, there's always some some work going on in the studio too with TSL. Sure. And Paul O'Neill when he. Uh, when he left us, he had several different things that he was working on, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, we're still in the recovery mode. But I think his family is very positive about the future of TSO, and you know, hopefully, we'll get some new music out. How did it feel last year going out on the road without you know his presence? And I don't know how much day to day he was with you guys on the road, um, you know, with two different touring groups, etc. But I mean, did did it feel different in 2017? Yes, yes, very much, because, I mean, obviously when I got the phone call, it was it was quite a shock and mm-hmm. for everybody, you know, our hearts go out to his, to his wife and his daughter, and even still, you know, it's, it's a pretty heavy one, but uh, when we got to rehearsals last year, you know, Paul's absence was felt immediately, because he was always just involved in everything all the time. Right. He was the say-all, end-all, and you know, all musical decisions, production decisions, you name it. It was it was Paul that put his stamp of approval on things. Mm-hmm. And, and when he wasn't there, it was, you know, it was odd to say the least. Right. But, um, you know, to his credit, he surrounded himself with some very good people. Sure. And, you know, this is Paul's legacy. I, I think this is something his family feels strongly about. And to not do it, I think, would have been a huge... I don't want to say a mistake, but I think in honor of Paul, and he dedicated his life to this. It's right. the right thing to do to 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 get back on our feet and carry on. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As as a drummer specifically, I mean, most drummers, you know, do a ninety-minute, two-hour set a night, maybe five, six nights a week, depending on you know the band itself. But you're doing two sets a day I, I don't even know how long your set is two hours I'm guessing maybe um, when, how much training do you have to do to be able to, to be in that kind of shape I'm guessing you know you've got to you know hit the treadmill midsummer to get ready for this is that accurate oh uh, yeah to a certain extent I mean I, I try to keep myself in pretty good shape throughout the year and, and mm-hmm. I'm always practicing so I, I'm always keeping my chops mm-hmm. up but the uh, yeah the TSO show is generally two hours two and a half hours long, okay. somewhere in that area. Uh, it is a long show, but also in that show is uh, and if you if you've seen us before, you, you realize the first half of the show is, is the story segment. Right. There's uh, there's breaks between songs. There's right. narration. Um, our na- narrator on the East Coast, Brian Hicks, you know he he tells the story of. You know, whichever story we are presenting on that tour this year, it's uh, the Ghost of Christmas Eve. But I have a number of breaks throughout the show. It's not like okay. I'm playing continuously for two and a half hours. Right. But but nonetheless, when you add up uh, the fact that we're doing eight shows in five days every week, yeah, come yeah. Sunday night, I'm tired. But it's, yeah. uh, 
nonetheless, I've, I've learned how to do this. I've been doing it this way for the past, guy, close to 15 years we've been doing these doubles. And uh, I've learned how to pace myself and, you know, get through these tours. Yeah, I look at this and just imagine, you know, some of you, you know, I, th- I even feel for the singers, you know, to be in, you know, to have that kind of trying the voice. Obviously, you've got a multitude of singers, which helped. But I imagine by the end of the tour, you know, come January, you just want to go eat some ice cream and relax, and the poor guys playing guitar are putting <laughs> super glue all over their fingers to keep the skin on. It's got to yep, be, a, yep. it's got to be a lot of work. So um, you mentioned, you know, some unfinished things. Should we, as, as fans, I, I know I remember asking Paul himself about, you know, may there be a concert film at some point down the road, and he always felt that. You know, the, you guys were best experienced live, not on a television. But um, do you do you have any idea of what, as far as new releases might be coming down the road? Um, I really don't have anything that I can put my finger on. Sure. You know, Paul was always working on Paul was working on music all the time. Sure. And you know, he has several projects that he's been working on with with uh, with uh, John Oliva for you know, God, 20, 25 years. Right. So there's, there's just things that are laying around. That, uh, you know, like I said, his, his family, once they got a handle on the business end of things and, and made sure the tour was going to be okay and all that, I, I think now we're, they're going to start maybe looking at some things like this. And right. I mean, I would love to, I, I think it would be fantastic. But, but here again, we have the same, we have the same question or, or problem is, Paul was the guy who okayed everything. Yeah. Paul was the guy who produced all this stuff. So who actually does that now? Yeah. And who who has that knowledge or that uh that same taste, so to speak, to to put the seal on these songs and this music. So it's a little more complicated than you might think, but uh Absolutely. But hey, yeah. you know, we've all got our fingers crossed. It would be great if we could do that. Yeah, I mean, you brings up you bring up a good point because I mean, he whatever his decision was, obviously throughout the years of when to release, what to release, how to release, worked. You know, you're not playing this many arenas in a week, um, you know, this many shows because he fumbled around or supersaturated the market, which is obviously something that would be easy to do. You know, put out a yeah. giant, you know, Blu-ray, 4K thing of the show, and then maybe people don't come to the show. So it is—it's certainly something that's got to be evaluated. That's, that's an excellent point. And and what we talked about earlier too is what I mentioned: seeing seeing the different videos, you always notice something different. It's mm-hmm. how are you actually going to capture this show on a DVD? Yeah, you know, it would have to be. Uh, that would be an interesting task. To do that, but yeah, uh, it is because then you're yeah, relying Paul, on a, Paul knew what he was doing. Yeah, you're relying on a producer to determine what it is you should have seen at that moment, as opposed to your own eyes. That's always a exactly. Yep. Exactly. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much. I know the tickets for that go on sale this week. You'll be coming into Pittsburgh on the 28th. Uh, you guys get this ball rolling actually in November, correct? For the shows, yeah, mid-November is when the tour okay. starts. Fantastic. Correct. Well, we wish you safe travels. By the time you get to Pittsburgh, it'll be almost uh, the very final home stretch. So hopefully, no problem. Pittsburgh's always a great audience. It's always always a thrill to be there. Again, a big thank you to Jeff. And as the time you hear my voice, tickets for the general public will be on sale for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's 2018 uh, holiday tour. So you can get those tickets now. They'll be at the PBJ Paints Arena on the 28th of December, doing a little. Uh, that kind of nice time between Christmas and New Year's in the United States that are going to be doing a show uh, to keep the holiday spirits alive. So, without further ado, we're going to turn our attention now to a band uh, who've 
got something maybe a little bit different than your normal hard rock bands. This is a band called Cello Fury. Uh, they are three cellists who uh, from the Pittsburgh area. They have uh, Simon, Ben, and Nicole. Uh, we will be joined in just a moment by Simon and Nicole to talk about the new album X, which will be coming out on the 21st of September. There's a, a release show at the Hard Rock Cafe in Pittsburgh. A chance to see them in a really cool, intimate setting. And uh, is you've seen with some other uh, acts of this nature, uh, this music is quite popular. I know myself listening to this album is great music to have on. Um, you know, if you just want to chill a little bit, it's got a little bit of a like a rock and a metal feel to it um, but it's you know got the interesting kind of sounds of a cello which is you know different than you might hear when you're listening to your favorite thrash metal album or, or what have you so i think a lot of you folks will give it uh you know give it a chance you'll enjoy it quite a bit so we're gonna play a little bit of that new album x and then we're gonna turn our attention to that interview with simon and nicole
right, ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Nicole Myers and Simon Cummings of um, Cello Fury on the line. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? We are doing very well. Um, you guys are getting set to release an album. You've got an album release show at the Hard Rock Cafe coming up on the 21st of September. New album X. Um, this is not your first album. You guys have had a few out before this. Uh, but for those not familiar, can can you kind of give us a sense of what Cello Fury is? Sure. Cello Fury is a Pittsburgh-based uh, rock and classical crossover group. Um, we sort of call ourselves Symphonic Rock, and it is three cellos with our drummer Dave Throckmorton, and we play kind of a variety of songs in the hard rock genre, um, but we use a lot of some classical type melodies and kind of try and do a lot of mixed genre music. Okay, yeah, I know. I noticed in listening to this album, I had this on, uh, and listened to your previous albums, and and I think one of the things Simon I asked you was, you know, are you guys like metal fans? Because you can kind of feel some of that, but maybe that kind of speaks to how classical has influenced heavy metal. Um, do do you guys come from a, a you know a rock background and just you know were kind of thrust into the world of classical music, or how did the, the kind of blending happen? Yeah, we grew up as classical musicians. Um, I myself had a lot of rock um, experience growing up. I played electric bass along with cello my whole childhood. Okay. So I played in a lot of bands um, on bass, and then I realized it'd be much more fun to do it on cello because it's, it's a little bit more versatile than the electric bass, and so I could do much more like flashy things, more like an electric guitar, mm -hmm. but still have like the low end of a bass. Now, for, for those of us, and I'm sure there are many of us, who are kind of naive to the cello, the cello is kind of, of, of an octave below a viola? Yeah, same strings as a viola, um, but an octave down. Okay. And the cool thing about it is you can play really low. You can you know basically play it like a bass guitar. Mm -hmm. You can also play really high melodies um, up on the top string, the A string, and make it sound like a viola or a violin. Now, how how many octaves does a cello encompass? Um, as far as like normal playability, there's mm. about four octaves, okay. um, which is a pretty a pretty good range. But you it can go even higher than that. It can you can do five or six if you really stretch it. Okay. All right. Thank you for the education, because as I mentioned, you know, not that not the world's uh, authority on cello. Um, now, when you guys play this together, you both or all three of you actually are playing. You know, kind of a low register instrument. Um, you know, where where many traditional rock bands, you've got guitar which sits over top of a bass. You've got a vocalist who may sing above that or way below that, depending on the style of music. But you guys are playing essentially the same instrument. Is there something you do to make it so the instruments are distinguishable? You know, who's playing what? Uh, do you play in different octaves, fifths, etc.? Yeah, there's a lot of um gymnastics that has to happen in the music composition process in order to make sure we uh, aren't like overlapping so when we're writing the music we're making sure that someone's staying really low on the bass part with like fifths, like mm -hmm. a power chord for an electric guitar Okay. and then we have the other two cellists in a higher range but then we flip constantly so none of us has like an assigned role, no one's like the bass player or the guitar <laughs> player, we're all three like just constantly flipping roles uh, which is a lot of fun on stage. Like when you're in the audience, you get to see us 
there's no like, oh, I'm going to watch the guitar player. You just, sure. you just have to keep changing who you're watching. Everybody gets to be the star for a song or two. Um, now, Nicole, were you a um, were you kind of a cellist at an early age? Or was this your first instrument? I was a cellist at an early age. Um, I started cello when I was eight, as I think um, Simon was as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I played a little bit of piano before that. But we all started actually in public school strings programs, like Simon mentioned, doing classical music. And okay. then in college, when we met, we decided to take all that training just for fun and try to do some like multi-style stuff and cover songs. Mm-hmm. And then we really loved what we were doing, so we decided to form a band and um, kind of make that our primary focus. Sure. Now, does does anyone take up cello at a later age? I mean, is it something that I think you know? You always hear of you know children, small children taking the instrument up, but do you see you know, people in their 20s or 30s picking up the cello for the first time, or is that not really happen? No, we do see it for sure. Um, we're all teachers um, of the cello, and mm-hmm. I know we currently have students who are in their 20s and 30s, and, you know, we've even taught retirees who just want to mm-hmm. learn something new. So I think um, you can start it at any age, probably to get to a really super high level. Most people do start when they're kids. Okay. Um, but I think anybody can pick it up and just learn the coordination to play it. Now, as as a youngster picking up this instrument, this isn't a small instrument. I mean, it's not the you know the upright bass, but it's still pretty big. Was it, is there like a scaled version that that people use, or, or do you maybe start on a smaller you know like viola and then move to cello? Yeah. So the littlest kids, like four or five year olds, can start on basically like a viola with an end pin really okay. little tiny children okay. and they make them in many different sizes so um, that's one reason why a lot of kids can start string instruments earlier because you know some of the brass and woodwind family you know you can't find smaller sizes for those instruments mm-hmm. um, so you can start kids at a really early age now um, one of the things that, that you know when I, I saw yours album and listen to it, it it reminded me of another band that we had interviewed about three years ago who have become huge in two cellos um has that opened some doors to to audiences acceptance of this kind of music or or do they have really any impact on what you guys are doing um they don't have tons of impact on what we're doing mainly because we were doing this like we've been doing this for a long time Mm -hmm. and they only kind of like rose in popularity maybe like three or four years ago Mm -hmm. um and so we had been doing our thing and their thing is very different they're much more like um cover based and they mainly do like covers and arrangements or like mashups they were like a classical song mashed up like an ACDC song um and that's cool, and we just we just mainly do our own music and sure. our own thing. Um, we do get people coming up to us at shows saying, "Oh yeah, you guys, you know, it sounds like two cellos, or do you know two cellos?" And um, so I think there is definitely some crossover appeal. Sure. Like if you like one of us, you probably like the other one of us because sure. they're both they're both featuring the cello in an unusual way. I think it's definitely cool that the cello is um, becoming a little bit more mainstream outside mm-hmm. of classical music. Um, I think the fact that people ask us those questions a lot, like it, people think that the cello is kind of a special instrument, whereas 
if you're just talking about a regular rock band, yeah. you wouldn't compare like a band with a lead singer, guitarist, bassist, drums to another band of a different style. Absolutely. So I think like as the cello gets more popular and more style styles branch out, you're gonna mm -hmm. see that just because it has a cello doesn't mean it's like the same as another band with a cello. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's it. I think you know, you, it does kind of further both of you sort of further the idea that it doesn't have to just be you know orchestral chamber music. Um, you know, when you guys throw in the drums and you listen to that, some of it, like I said, it doesn't. It's not a long leap from someone who might be interested in, let's say, an Iron Maiden or a Nightwish or something like yeah. that to listen to this and find it very enjoyable. You know, and it's yeah, totally. It's 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 kind of nice because it it makes very good like you know quiet music. You know, it's not like you guys are bombastic in sound, but uh, you know it's very relaxing. But still, kind of scratches some of that darker itch uh, that you know a lot of metal fans have. Um, as far as writing, um, can you talk about how you you go about putting these pieces? I think you know for the average fan or even the average rock musician might look at this kind of music and go, well, this is incredibly complicated to write. I mean, can you speak to that, how the writing process works? Yeah, um, it is a bit complicated, mainly because we're constantly doing the flipping thing, where we're switching voices uh, mm -hmm. based on where we are in the song. But a big part of what makes it work is we are writing for an instrument that we play, um, and we've played for over 20 years, each of mm -hmm. us. And so... It, you know, we write in keys that really show off the cello and that make it really sound big. Um, we try and use um, kind of cool, flashy effects that we know can work on the instrument. Um, and there's a lot of, as far as structuring the song, there's a lot of different um, styles that we kind of cover. Like if you're listening to our album, you're going to hear one song might sound a little bit more like progressive rock, and one song. I sound a little bit more like just kind of like a ballad. Um, so you're getting a lot of different genres on on one album. Um, so that's kind of a big thing that we're we don't want to have every song sound the same. Now, when you write, I think a lot of you know, and in, in my mind, when I think of, of classical music, I think of somebody tucked away by candlelight writing on a piece of parchment with a quill. Do you guys yes. just sit in a room and kind of you know? Noodle, for lack of a better term, uh, if cellist yeah. noodle, but um, yeah, or or is this more of a go away with ledger paper and and write kind of experience? Um, it's it's kind of a mix. Uh, like I'll sit down and and just play and like get try and get cool sounds out of the cello mm -hmm. and figure out what works and like we have all these fingerings that we've been practicing and different patterns that we've been practicing and a lot of it is kind of based on that and just kind of the instincts of the instrument and then yeah we'll take like those ideas and then it's not as old school as the quill and parchment right. but yeah we have we do it on the computers now we just have this notation software and, and yeah usually one of us will just write a song hmm. kind of by ourselves um, um, but we do some collaboration stuff and you know we we're con we sometimes change our songs live and we'll do some improv live and Mix it up a bit. Do you ever sit down, like Nicole mentioned, playing the piano? Do you ever sit down at a different instrument and end up writing? I know a lot of rock musicians will say, you know, I came up with that song on piano, and it's you know one of the greatest you know guitar songs you've ever heard. Do you, do you ever write on different instruments? Yeah, 
I write on piano. Um, usually, I have one set up next to my computer, mm-hmm. so I'll I've I've written entire songs without even picking up the cello. Um, okay, but it's more fun to. That's usually like for slow songs. But if I'm doing something fast, I usually have to try it out and make sure it works on right. the cello because you don't want to end up with something that's floppy or like unplayable. Sure. Now this is a, another naive question, but do you use effects on, on a cello? Can you incorporate delay or, or compression or anything like that? You can. Um, we, however, we play acoustic instruments, okay. and we we can still use those effects pedals, but we actually try to do them naturally by changing our technique. Uh, okay. Um, we, we want the cello to still sound like a cello. Um, okay. Some bands like Apocalyptica, for example, they're amazing cellists, and they do a lot of effects, um, and the cello kind of gets distorted to the point where if you weren't looking, you would know it was a cello. Right. Um, so we we try to stretch our technique and make make those different sounds just by how we use the bow and um, some left-hand techniques as well. But okay. yeah, you could definitely rig up all the same pedals that you would have for a guitar on a cello. Okay. Yeah, that was, like I said, it was one of those things. I've seen, you know, violinists, for example, that come out in what looks like a, you know, a little piece of plastic on their neck, like at the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. It doesn't even look like a violin. Uh, yeah. And you, and, you know, it's got a back line that's gigantic. Um, yeah. L- let's talk about, for a minute, David, who obviously isn't on the call, but um, when and how do you incorporate the drums into this? Um. Well, when we're writing the music, we're thinking about drums because mm-hmm. we know that he's part of the group and we know that he's going to be playing live. Um, so sometimes we'll leave some gaps in the music that he can cover, um, and we'll and then eventually we'll sit down after the song's like basically done and we'll kind of sketch out with him what we want him to do, and then we ask him his opinion, and he kind of fills in some of the blanks. Um, but he's such a fantastic drummer that every time we play, it feels like it's a new song. Um, he adds something new every time. There's always like really cool techniques, and like we do a lot of mixed meter things where the time signature kind mm. of changes or feels displaced, and it's that's something that a lot of I know rock and metal people like um, is that our music is it's not just straightforward like radio friendly. Right. all the time sometimes it's a little bit more complicated um, but it's he he provides all of that like all of that rhythm and basically all of that that makes the songs each sound really different cool now can you talk a little bit about the show you're doing on the 21st um, is this just the four of you doing the show or, or do you have any other musicians that, that get involved in the show yeah um, so we're kind of celebrating our 10th anniversary as a group and we've been writing music for even longer than that as a group um, we are really excited to play the whole album live that's part of what we're going to do we're also going to be um, selling new merchandise for the first time and mm. we have our album pressed on vinyl for the very first time oh, that's cool so a lot of really cool new stuff um, but yeah it's just going to be the four of us the whole night uh, we'll probably do two sets and it's an all-ages show, which we're really excited about, so that anybody can come. Um, and it's a cool venue to see music in, because it's not too big that you feel like you're a mile away from the band. It's, sure. it's kind of intimate, 
Um, so it'll be fun. Could you touch on on your website? There's uh, camps and outreach. Can you talk a little bit about what you do in those programs? Sure. So um, we are artists, but we're also educators as well. Um, in addition to teaching private lessons during the school year, we travel to schools and present programs to kids um, to get them interested in the cello, interested in music, and to share with them the fact that if you start out playing classical music, you're going to mm. open so many doors to do lots of different things um, okay. to try to keep classical music kind of alive for them. Okay. Um, and then in the summertime, we run four weeks of a an alternative strings rock camp. Okay. So we have kids who play violin, viola, cello, bass, ages 8 to 18, and they come for a day camp for a whole week, and they just rock out with us and learn a ton of music and play a concert at the end of the end of the week. Now, do you find with the children that are involved in that that it does sort of um, spark some, you know, maybe some more enthusiasm for the instrument? You know, I, I look at, you know, children who, and I've known this from many guitar teachers um, in different band teachers and things like that where, you know, they're teaching from the same books that they taught 60 years ago. Um, you know, God bless Hal Leonard's guitar theory book, but, you know, a lot of kids want to come and they want to learn, you know, whatever is popular on the radio. Uh, do you find that this, you know, some kids walk away maybe a little more enthused uh, with the instrument as opposed to, you know, no offense to Bach, but, you know, maybe playing some of that stuff that they're not as interested in? For sure. Um, we always, so we, we do stress, like, starting from a classical standpoint and classical technique, but at these camps, we do take pop songs, classic rock songs, we, hmm. we ask the kids what they want to play, and then um, Simon arranges it for them, basically. We do a lot of custom arrangements so that okay. they can play the stuff that they're hearing on the radio, and we're still able to make it, you know, technically challenging for them at whatever level they're at, and we do stress the same things in classical music, you know, like playing in tune, playing rhythmically and steady and understanding your rhythms and how your part fits with uh, the other sections, whether you're in a rock band or in an orchestra. Right. Um, but a lot of those kids will spend, you know, eight, seven or eight hours with us at camp and then go home and practice for another two hours just because they're so excited to get their hands on something a little bit different. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that, that's exactly it. It's, it's something different and maybe a little fresher. You know, I often think that if if you could somehow incorporate, you know, into a nine-year-old's music lesson, Samariana Grande, it might be a, a, do a long, you know, a, a great deal of good to get kids, you know, more enthused to take up these instruments, as opposed to hot cross buns and, and you know the standards that kids are taught. Yeah, right, well, you couldn't you couldn't be more right. Yeah, and that, that's, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, the nature of the beast with, with certain instruments, you know. You know, if you're a guitarist and you go to see a you know, guitar teacher, a lot of times theory kind of goes out the window, but you do learn the, you know, the popular songs that are, you know, whatever you happen to be interested in. But uh, there are certain instruments that seem to be that where you're teaching is so much theory and technique that kids don't get maybe the music that sparks their interest. So it's interesting exactly. to hear. And that, that's a big part of what we do as music educators is we want to provide music that's not just the same old, same old. Um, 
So that's a big part of what we do year-round is get kids playing music that they actually are interested in. Okay. Well, for those educators out there who might be interested in, in um, your program, is there a particular means to get in touch with you guys? Or what what is the um, – maybe talk about your website for a sec. Sure. Yeah, so uh, we have our website, cellofury.com, and you can go there and send us a message if you want us to come to your school, present a program, or if you want to take lessons um, or come to our summer camps. Awesome. And you can also, of course, check out our shows as well. Awesome. Okay, and you guys are at the um, Hard Rock Cafe on the 21st. The new album, X, will be available that night for purchasing, even on vinyl, which is awesome. So I want to thank you guys so much for doing the show today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. We want to thank Simon and Nicole of Cello Fury and also Jeff of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. A reminder, the Cello Fury will be doing their CD release party at the 21st of September at the Hard Rock Cafe in Pittsburgh. Get tickets at the Hard Rock Cafe's website. And Trans-Siberian Orchestra tickets are on sale now to the general public. They will be coming to the PPG Paints Arena on the 28th of December to do a show. So two great shows uh, coming down the line. So we hope you enjoy their music, and we hope you get out and support some of these artists. Um, the the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, as I say every year, I think we've had them on almost as long as Iron City Rocks has been on the air. Um, if you've never seen the show, it's a spectacular visual experience. There's really no other way to say it. If you, you know, enjoy the, the music, even it, to hear it casually, if you're not, you know, a hardcore, you know, listening to The Lost Christmas Eve, uh, you know, as you, part of your must-listen-to holiday music, to see the visual spectacular they put on is just amazing. So it's, it's worth your time to get to the arena. There's two shows on the 28th, an afternoon matinee and a full show at night. Both are full shows. Uh, the first half of the show is with a narrator. The second half is uh, a bit of a greatest hit, so you get plenty of show for your money. Uh, you will not walk away dis- disappointed from a Trans-Siberian Orchestra show. So, until next time, you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter are all forward slash ironcityrocks. encourage you to check that out, and we do our best not to post the same thing on all of them. Uh, as I'm sure you know, many social media accounts just regurgitate the same thing on all all their social media platforms. We try to keep it interesting for those of you who take the time and are kind enough to follow us on each of those. So invite you to check that out. Also, you can drop us an email, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, we want to thank you.